This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Well, I'm going to ask you to jump in this morning, this evening with me. We're going to jump into John chapter 5. It's uh, the scriptures are on the Version Bible app. We're going to just explore it a bit tonight, and we'll finish up on Sunday morning, so you can take your own notes. Um, if you don't have the version, it's John 5, 1 through 9, and um, we're going to move in some things. I'm so grateful for the three siblings that got baptized tonight. Wow. That is such a memory and such a blessing to take on and pass on. Um, you'll never forget your baptism. I remember when I was baptized having given my life to Christ, and it changed my life. And then to know that you were baptized on New Year's Eve in a pandemic and with your siblings, you'll never forget that. And um, when I was baptized, it feels like the Stone Ages now, but back then, when we gave our heart to Jesus, and some of y'all know that has been in this for a little while, there was something that in us that believed that our lives could change that our world could change. And not only that our world could change, that God could use us to change the world. Sometimes I don't see that. Sometimes it's disappointing in the 2020s and the 20-teens and all that. You don't always see that, you know, that hunger that God can change my life. But I want you just to make that declaration over yourself. God can change my life. All right. God can. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't do the 1030 service because y'all wouldn't have made it. God can change my life. Uh huh. <laughs> That's a big part of what the gospel is about, God changing your life and making it acceptable to Christ through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when he changes our life, he can then change the world. I was in London many years ago, and I was doing some sightseeing and different things. And what I love about Europe and London and different places overseas is that they have what I call old history. We have what we call new history here. So our buildings, our oldest buildings are probably 200 years old. If you find something more than 200, 250 years old, you've really done something amazing. When you go to Europe, you can find buildings that are 1,000 years old, 1,500 years old. You can find structures and statues and things. And so one of the places that they took me to was a place called Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey, who's heard of that before? Oh, awesome. Westminster Abbey is a church in London. It was built in 1960. I mean, excuse me, 960, roughly. But um, around 1100, the church was, um, there was, a, there was a, a, a bishop that was there, and he began to write his uh, inscription that's still there today. And I want to kind of read you what he left behind. An Anglican bishop wrote in 1100, that's almost, really, I guess just a thousand years ago. This is what he wrote. When I was young and free, and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sights somewhat and decided to change my country, only to change my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew my twilight years in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by my example, I would have changed my family. 
And from the inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to better my country. And who knows, I may have even changed the world. You know, as we stand on the precipice of a new year, often we come in with this idea of things that we want to change in our life. As a matter of fact, we talk about having New Year's what? Resolutions, because there's something that we want to be new or something that we want to be different or something that we want to be changed in our life. And, and many of you tonight, the truth be told, if you had an t- opportunity to come up here and just share, you would say, this is what is wonderful. This is what I would like to see changed in my life. Some of you want something to change in a relationship. Others of you want something to change in your relationship with God specifically. Others of us, there's some things that we've been dealing with in our financial life or in our career and vocation. Some of you, it's in your family. There's some things that you, they talked about tonight. Uh, things change when I call your name Jesus. There's some things that you can call the name of Jesus about for your family because you want those things to change. And others of us are dealing with struggles in our health. And we're saying, God, I'm dealing with this infirmity. I'm dealing with this sickness or this disease, and, and I want something to change. Am I talking to anybody tonight? And here's what I know about change, that God will never change anything in your life that you don't want to be changed. Let me give an example. He's not going to change you from sinner to saint unless you want to be changed. He'll never deliver you from something that you love. <laughs> he's never going to set us free from things that we love. But if we want him to change something in us, he's got the power to change us. Tell your name and say, God's got the power to change you. Tonight, we're going to look at somebody we've looked at before, and you should have heard about him more than once if you've been in church any time in your life, who desired change, who wanted something to change in their life, and it seemed like it might not change. This man is a man that has been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years in antiquity is a lifetime. 38 years before modern medicine is a lifetime. And the truth is that many of us have been stuck in the same situation or the same issue that we've been dealing with. Watch this, not just for Watch Night 2021, but some of us for Watch Night 2020. And if we really went down the line, some of us for 2019 and 2018, and we can go back and say, this thing in my life seems like it hasn't changed, and I've been dealing with this for X, Y, Z years. Well, tonight we're going to look at a gentleman that was looking at the same or facing the same paralysis for 38 years. And and one could argue when you hear his story uh, that it wasn't 38 years. It was one year lived 38 times over. How many want a new year next year? And so you're going to find out that this man responded to life. Somebody shout life. Yeah, I heard somebody say life is what happens when you make plans. He responded to life, to his challenge, to his situation, the same way in year 38 as he responded in year 8. And he relived that same year. So from you, maybe maybe you feel like that too. Maybe you feel like your life has been sort of in a time loop. And a time loop, you know what it is, but you may not know by its name. It's those movies and those TV shows that they've run over the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of them, where a person sort of wakes up and they're living the same day over and over again. And they go back to sleep and they wake up, it's the same day over and over again. And maybe you feel like you've been living the same year over and over again. And you wake up and the only thing that's changed is a clock, is a calendar. And you've been stuck in a time loop. I believe God's going to do something in your life. Or maybe you have found yourself 
not physically paralyzed, but maybe even paralyzed by fear, going through this pandemic, going through the issues and the challenges of life. Maybe you're walking and paralyzed by fear of what your future will look like in 2022. Or maybe you're just stuck in anxiety about the things that may or may not happen that have paralyzed you. And some of us, the truth be told, because I've heard many of the stories, sometimes it's just the traumatic events that have happened, not last year, not this year, but sometime in our past that can paralyze us and keep us in the same position. And I want you to hear tonight that God's got a word for you. And, and I want you to understand that it's not too late for God to move in your life. And it doesn't matter how long. Because sometimes we think of our situation as being unchangeable, unmovable, unsolvable, particularly when a long space of time has taken place. And I need somebody to shout, it's not too hard for God. And I love it because what I know about Jesus personally, that I would have never had to read the Bible for, that I have experienced, is that Jesus can change your life. I wouldn't have had to read. You could have preached me one gospel message and got me to the altar, and I could stand here tonight. This year will be coming up, will be 40 years of knowing Christ personally, not being in church, but knowing Jesus. And I could stand here as sure as I'm a black male, 51 years old, I could stand here and tell you that Jesus can change your life. How do you know, preacher? Because he changed mine. How do you know? Because I watched him change mother. I watched him change father. I watched him change sister and brother. And what I can tell you tonight is that no matter where you are and how far and how long you've been there, Jesus is able to change your life. That is the power of the gospel message that we preach, that is life-changing, that is revolutionary, that, that the crooked can become straight, that that which is out of order can get into order, that that which is sick and disease can be healed, that God has the power to change your life, that all he's got to do is speak one one word. All he's got to do is tell you one word. All you've got to do in response to his one word arise and things in your life that you thought could never be changed can change. I will throw out my caveat to you that what I believe sometimes becomes our challenges. We tend to think of our lives sort of in these little, uh, if you think of an egg carton, an egg carton is one carton, but it has those 12 little crates, the cradles in them, or whatever you call it. And so we have a tendency to say, ooh, number three has a problem. Fix number three, right? But because God doesn't just love number three, he loves number one, number two, number four, number five, number seven, number 12. God tends to see our life from a holistic point of view. And so when God gets ready to bring change for number three, he brings transformation for all the others too. So let's take a look at John, because we're going to shout at 8.30. Since we don't do our 12 o'clock service, we're going to shout at 8.30. They're going to give us a countdown before then. And so I'm going to put myself on the clock and make sure that we're ready. Y'all ready? Are y'all ready? All right, here we go. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there is a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, or paralyzed, waiting for something to change. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. A certain man was there 
who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been sick for a long time, somebody said a long time, he asked him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus answered to him and said, arise, take up your mat and walk. Immediately, the man was made well and took up his mat and walked. Now, this was on, now it was on the Sabbath day. So I want to just spend a few moments kind of giving some context to it, and then we'll do more on Sunday. But so we're in the Gospel of John, right? And how many of y'all, let me, before I go there, how many of y'all went through the Bible in one year in 2021? Raise your hand. Oh, look at y'all, look at y'all. Awesome, awesome. Give it up for those that have met it. Y'all can clap, it's okay. You ain't going to spray COVID by clapping. Amen. What you find out is, and what I love about the, the books of the Bible and going through it in a year, and particularly the one that we're using called the story of the Bible, because it really shows you that there is a unified, one unified story from 66 books, right? And so the unified story shows you that man has this tendency to, or humanity has cycles of self-destruction, that the Messiah will one day come and restore the covenantal relationship with fallen man. And so in Genesis chapter 1, you may remember this, it says, in the beginning, God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. And so it's given us a hint as to who the story is about. In the beginning, God. So who do you think the story might be about? Because, you know, it's easy in modern Christianity to think the story is about me. Y'all ain't going to say nothing. It's easy in, in an age of commercialism and in, in, in whatever you want that it's about me. But the truth of the matter is it's about God, but it includes me. Tell somebody, but it includes me. Fast forward to John's gospel, and John almost starts his, his gospel the same way. Except John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so John begins to write his gospel showing us that he spends the rest of his gospel making the point that this guy that y'all crucified a long time ago, a few years back, is not just a man, but he is the eternal word of God and the Messiah. I'm, coming, I'm going someplace. And so John uses a word that we like to use a lot um, in modern, not really understanding some of it anyway. John uses this thing called signs, this word. This was the first sign. This was the second sign. How many know when you get a sign that the sign never points to itself? So if you see a sign that says, you know, yield, it's pointing to the fact that there's other traffic that's going before you. Are you with me? If you see a sign that says there's a stop, you know, stoplight a thousand feet ahead or whatever, it's pointing to something else. John begins to tell a story saying that there's signs that are going to tell you that when you see this, that he is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. I'm making my way to 
where we are. So in, by chapter 2, John says this is the first sign. And some of you will remember that the first miracle that Jesus did was the wedding, the turning water into wine at the wedding of Cana. This is the first sign pointing to who? Jesus. By chapter 4, we realize that there's a, a man who's, well, let me go back. By chapter 2, he, he turns water into wine. He shows that he's got power over the elements. We get to chapter 4, he, he, does this, he does another sign. He heals a nobleman's son. You say, that ain't no big deal. He always heals people. Yeah, but he healed this person, and the person was in prison. He's got power over time and space. Go on home. When you get home, he's going to be well. And in between all these signs, let me give you one, the final one, number seven, because you would remember this from the Christmas experience. The final sign was, my brother Lazarus is dead, and if you had been here, but even now, do you believe he can rise? And Jesus, what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead. Power over death. And that sign was done just before his own resurrection. What do you think he was pointing to? So John is trying to let us know this is all about Jesus. This is all about God. But there's a man somewhere in between this who has got an issue, just like you and I. He's got his own situation. He's got his own relationships. He's got his own life that he lives. But in the middle of life, he's got something happening to him that he cannot fix. He's got something that's happened to him that he cannot change. And in the middle of all this showing that Jesus is who the Old Testament prophesied that he would be, that he is the Messiah, that he is God, John throws this story in to let you and I know that we still hope that God can still change our life. And so the scripture tells us that Jesus walks up and that Jesus sees this man lying under this colonnade, under this covering by the pool of Bethsaida. And as he sit into the Bible says that Jesus knew that he had been in that situation for a long time. And when you study what that actually means, it doesn't mean that he knew because somebody told him. It doesn't mean that he knew because he speculated. It means that he divinely knew that this man has been in this situation for a long time. And so Jesus, knowing that he'd been in this situation for a long time, goes up to the man and says, uh, do you want to get well? That's like asking somebody who's hungry if they want to eat. And I've told you this before, that God never asks a question because he doesn't know the answer. The writer just told us that he knew supernaturally that he'd been there for a long time. So if he knows all things, and if he is God, and if he's the eternal word of God, why is the word that created all things asking flesh a question? Beloved, whenever God asks us a question in, in Scripture, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. There's a lot of questions, a lot of times that God asks questions. Adam, where are you? Moses, what's in your hand? Ezekiel, can these bones live? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let me tell you, when God asks a question, it's not because he wants to launch an interrogation. He wants to launch an intervention in your life because he wants to change something in, in your life. Somebody shout amen. But what we find here, you know how you ask somebody a question and they try to change the subject a little bit on you? Jesus, do you want to get better? The man, well, you know, what happened was 
I, you know, every time the angel came and the water was stirred, I try to get to the water, I try to get to the pool, but somebody else jumps the line. And so I've been stuck in the same pool and stuck in the same situation year after year after year after year. And I've been here now for 38 years. And then in one word, Jesus says, with, he doesn't ask him, hey, where's your faith? Faith is not even discussed. He says to him, arise, take up your mat, take up your bed and walk. And instantly, somebody shot instantly. The man takes up his bed and walks. And I want to point out something to you that maybe we might overlook. The man is telling him about all the circumstances about why his life cannot change. I don't have a person. I don't have a man. I don't have somebody to help me. You know, some of the reasons why we think our life can change. I could be a lot further if I had a spouse. I could be a lot further if I had a father raise me. I could be a lot further if I had a husband. I could be a lot further if I had supportive children. I could be a lot further, but I don't have a man to help me get from A to B. Am I talking to anybody tonight? There's many we could say we would be further. We wouldn't be down still. We might be up. We might be able to produce more in our life if this was different. And, then, and so the man gives all his reasons. Jesus doesn't respond to his reasons. Instead, Jesus says, arise, take up your bed, and walk. And what we find out here is that the reason why he's down still for so long is not what it may seem like. See, I believe the reason why the man is still down is not because of it's, it's not our circumstances that keep us down, but it's the story we tell ourselves about our circumstances that keep us paralyzed. It's the stories we tell ourselves about why we're here and why we can't move that keep us down. Events will come in your life that will knock you down, but the story you tell yourself is what keeps you there. Mm -mm, Y'all missed that one. That's why two people can go through the same situation, the exact same situation. Two people can go through the same situation. One could be homeless still, and the other one could be Tyler Perry. It is the stories that we tell ourselves. It's not the event. The event might have gotten you down. The sickness might have gotten you down, but what holds you down and keeps you paralyzed and keeps us reliving and recycling the same thing over and over is not what happened in 2010. It's the story I hold on to in 2021. I believe God's going to give some of us a new story. It's not our circumstances. We think it's a divorce. No, it's a story that I tell myself that I can never find love again that's keeping me down. We think it's because somebody hurt us. No, it's that story that I'm telling myself that I can never forgive him or her that paralyzes me. We think it's because of somebody we lost that we love so deeply. And it's not because of the loss. It's because of the story that we tell us I can never go on without her. It is the stories that we tell ourselves. And sometimes Jesus will stop by in the middle of our story. See, I question, why would God, why would Jesus ask the man a question, never address his answer? He or, Jesus already knows the answer. Sometimes we got to know the own, our own story and our own. It's got to come out of our mouth so we can hear it. Because it's not our circumstances that keep us down but the stories we tell ourselves that 
paralyzes. And so Jesus invites the man to arise, take up his bed, and walk. See, what I know about this is that there's a difference between rise and arise. Very similar, very close, but not the same word. Rise would mean that you're able to, that you shift from one place to a higher, higher place, like smoke could rise, right? But that is external when something rises, right? But the word arise means, watch this, to awaken, to be stirred, to prepare for action. And that's not external, that is internal. And so many of us tonight are waiting for something in our life to change. We're waiting for the job. We're waiting for our spouse to give their life to Christ. We're waiting for our health to show up better than it was a year or six months ago. And God says, you don't have to wait. If you understand, you can arise right now. If you allow God to change something on the inside of you, that when Jesus wants to do something in your life, he generally starts here, not there. We've been asking God to change everybody. Change my husband. Change my wife. Change my children. Change my tires. Change my car. Change my job. And he says, I want to change you. And if I can change you, then your family can be changed. And if your family can be changed, then your community will be changed. And if your community is changed, your city can change. And if your city changes, a nation can change. And if a nation changes, a world can change. God wants to change something in us so the world around us can be changed. He's inviting us. He'll enter into your story only to invite you into his story of changing the world. I'm going to close up by saying this, that I find it quite interesting that Jesus shows up to a pool full of sick people. So just think about that for a minute. He shows up, if you will, to an emergency room, packed out, walks in, and heals one. I got a problem with that. I don't know about y'all. Can you imagine that? I mean, there's multitudes. You don't, when you see the word multitude, that means they didn't even bother counting. You know, there's just multitudes. And he sees one man and heals one man and there's multitudes. And here's what I believe. I don't believe Jesus had to go around and touch everybody and speak to everybody. No, I do believe that he used what he did for that one man. He's showing the rest of everybody else, number one, who he is. Number two, if I can do it for one or for someone, I can do it for anyone. How about that? So that's why you don't need to get jealous when somebody else gets blessed. You don't need to get jealous when somebody gets promoted. You don't need to be jealous when God gives somebody else a breakthrough. You ought to be excited because if he did it for one, if he did it for someone, he can do it for one. But I also believe that the multitudes represent a church that needs to be reawakened. 
I believe that in this coming year, you're going to watch the hand of God raise up his church. And that the church that has been, and I don't mean impact, I mean his church, his global church, his body, that the spirit of God is going to begin to raise back up the church that has been sleeping, is going to awaken the church, is going to stir the church, is going to stir gifts in the church, is going to stir talents in the church, is going to stir his heart again in the church. And the church of Jesus Christ will arise in 2022. And begin to shake nations. Beloved, he has called us for such a time as this. He's called us for such a time as this. And sometimes he goes to the one that's been something so, in something so long that it would be almost unbelievable that their life can change to show you that even after 38 years, their life can change and so can yours. I wondered why he chose that one. And I can't prove this, but I'm going to tell you what I speculate. Why did you choose him? The writer went through a lot of intentionality to tell us it was 38 years. And that's probably because his was the hardest case because his was probably the longest case. And there's a witness to those that are around. If he can do it for him, he can do it for you. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet tonight. And I'm praying that the Lord begins to stir something on the inside of us. Even in um, next week, we're getting ready to begin our corporate fast. And it's not for the sake of losing those few extra pounds you gain over the holiday season. Although that is a byproduct. It's so that he can do a work in me. He can change something in me. Because my inclination, and I assume yours may be too, is to always look outside and always pray that God does all of those things outside. And he says, but I got to do something here. And if you let me do something here, I can do something around you. And so we're fasting that God can show me me. So that whatever the lie is that I believe that's keeping me going in cycles and circles, those things can be broken. That I can get to a place where, and I'll talk maybe about this more on Sunday, where later on in that text, Jesus re-meets the man in the temple, and he says, go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come on you. That, In other words, that, that he's saying, now that you belong to me, I need for you to hate the things that I hate and love the things that I love. And so that's one of the reasons why we fast, that God, give me a heart, that is after your heart, that my desires begin to reflect your desires. That I want what you want. Because a lot of folks will quote Proverbs that he'll give you the desires of your heart. But the first thing you got to do is get, put his desires in your heart. That's internal, not external. Come on, somebody. And so I'm praying that as we step into next week, that you will posture yourself and position yourself to fast with us. We'll send out some information about the fast over the weekend, but you can also go on the website. It's already there. But I'm going to really encourage you to connect with God in a way that you haven't before and to go deeper than you've gone before. And I believe God's going to meet you there. How many believe that? Amen. All right, let's pray. Y'all can come on up. Where are you? All right. 
Let's pray tonight. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We, we are already aware of things that we want to see changed. And God, we know there's things in our lives that you want to see changed. And so, Father, tonight we lay our will down to yours. And we ask, Father God, that you would move in our hearts and move in our mind, Lord. And that, Father God, the work that you want to do in our life, Lord God, that you would do it, that we would bear the fruit that you have ordained for us to bear in this time. And Lord, for the one that is a bit discouraged, or the one that is a bit perplexed, Lord, unsure going into a new year Father God. Father may they find rest for their mind and peace for their heart God. May they know that you are nigh. May they know that your word is alive and Father that it's active and it's better than any or greater than any two-edged sword God and I pray Father God that you would work in our lives in such a way Lord that whatever cycles whatever things that keep revisiting us Father God that it ends. That we see deliverance that we see freedom, that we see restoration, that we see healing, that we see total surrender, that we see you moving our lives in a way that's tangible. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it all. Amen and amen.